Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, your host for the day, actually for the whole show, I think. So we're going to have a great hour or so with Guy Talk. I think we're doing the extended version today. So we're going to be uh, with the guys till 530. So let me know what your questions are. Get them in early and often. 877-933-2484. That's the text line. You can also email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. We've got some things to get things started, but we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear maybe a passage of Scripture you'd like us to discuss or an issue that you would like us to chew on. I can't guarantee answers, but we'll give it a try. So let me know, 877-933-2484. The power panel that has assembled today is Pastors Tom Parrish, Tom Brock, Peter Kapsner, and Secret Agent Justin Jepson. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Bill. Is Justin here? Okay. I am here, Bill. Yep. Yeah, usually you kind of sneak in at a you know unknown to un, un, uh, unknown time. So <laughs> nice to have you here right from the top. Unpredictably predictable, absolutely. Yeah, which I appreciate. How's everybody doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a few things going on in the world. It seems like these days. Yeah. So you know, definitely <laughs> enough to keep our attention. Uh, but that's for sure. Right now, I, I don't know how you guys are doing, but everywhere I turn, it's you either hear election or pandemic on somebody's uh, uh, mind. So you do. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I think the the key to it that I find is helping people understand that our confidence in the Lord, no matter what, he's still going to have his way. And I don't like it. I wish it was different, a lot of things. But at the same time, I love uh, what Martin Luther said. He said, if the Lord wants me, he knows my address. Mm. And if he wants me, he knows where to find me. So I'm going to live for him until that day. Mm. And, you know, the reason I think this COVID thing is dragging on and on and on, I think we need deep surgery. We don't need just a quick little scare from the Lord. We need deep surgery to turn us around, in, in America especially, but in the world. And I don't know that we're getting there. Are we repenting in America? I mean, we'll find out on November, uh, what is it, 3rd, that we're going to vote. and 4th, 5th, 6th. Yeah, there you go. And just are we going to vote in people that have a problem with 3,000 dead babies a day in America? Or are we going to uh, uh, go the other direction? I, I think... I don't know. I don't see us repenting much in America. What about prayer? Are we committing to prayer? Yeah, it certainly is not yeah. part of the conversation. I mean, right, Jess, we're not seeing hardly anything in, in terms of that part of it. Uh, clearly, people are praying for our country, but it isn't part of the, the natural and ongoing discourse. Yeah, well, I think, the, you know, I think there certainly is a, a swell of prayer. You look at some of the things that have, are happening in D.C. and some of the prayer rallies. I know there's certain ministries like Life Action Ministries that sponsors a prayer ministry called One Cry, and they're, they're really mobilizing hundreds of thousands of people to pray. Um, you know, and again, I think there's a, we're praying not just for the election, but praying for the elect. And I think, uh, you know, I had a mentor of mine recently say that, you know, the, the, the biggest problem right now isn't the pervasiveness of darkness. It's the absence of light. Mm. And and I think it's, uh, you know, so for me, I'm just trying to keep my focus on, okay, Lord, uh, you've said that I'm salt and light. Um, you've put me here for a reason. As Tom said, he, you know, uh, he knows my address if he wants to come get me. But as long as I have breath in my lungs and blood in my veins, I have a, I have a purpose as one of God's ambassadors and an agent of his kingdom. And 
I can I can choose how I want to step into that invitation day in and day out. But it's it's definitely a struggle and it's hard and it's a daily battle. If the pictures I'm seeing are valid from South America, it's showing thousands of Christians in South America, Brazil mm-hmm. and elsewhere, out on the streets, literally kneeling because of the COVID and all that's going on and praying and crying out to the Lord. Well, we've never seen that here. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, we've seen people pray outside, but mm-hmm. not in those kind of groups. And I think when we talk about prayer, there isn't a drive for prayer yet like we need. That drive, I believe, will come, but what it takes to get there, I don't know. Yeah, I think about it in my own life when uh, prayer moves from duty to desperation, right? Mm-hmm. And and how long it takes me to get to that space. And and usually it is, well, this will pass or this will pass or this will pass. And, and then suddenly things aren't passing or things, you know, then it's like, right. wait a second here. Um, I think I'm leaning into stuff that is not related to God's kingdom. And, and, um, and that single-mindedness is something that uh, I've woven in and out of in my life, for sure, in terms of that idea of, you know, just following Jesus. Many are the paths of destruction, uh, but narrow is the path of life. And, and I think it often takes an ongoing situation to create a sense of desperation. This is a way to say there really is only one pathway of life here. Right. And, and I think if you pray the prayer, God, do whatever you have to to get the most number of people into heaven. That's going to mean pretty drastic stuff. And that's why I'm I'm sick of the COVID stuff as much as anybody. But I think God is doing stuff in the heavenlies. And uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've heard it said that we can either pray out of crisis or out of conviction. And, you know, crises will come and go. But I think conviction is something that can truly be fostered and cultivated, you know, at, at the heart level. And I think. You know, maybe to mend, it's you know not only creating a desperation, but I think it's revealing the desperation that we've that's already been there. I mean, I think we're all we've, we're always desperate in a sense. We're always dependent, I should say, of the Lord. And uh, I don't know, this this season more than ever for for me has has revealed my prayerlessness. Uh, but yet, and how much I try to live independently from the Lord, but that much more how much I need Him. And um, and I'm really grateful, you know, for platforms like this and platforms like like Zoom and just a number of the different prayer gatherings that I've been able to participate in over the last, you know, even month with, um, you know, brothers and sisters across the country. And it's um, it's something that we need to stay in together and pray together. And it's, it's a reminder for me, too. You know, the New Testament talks about prayer. You know, um, a majority of the commands have to do with the expression of communal prayer, not individual prayer. And I think we you know, I think one of the things that this is doing is breaking America out of our individualistic mindset yeah. um, and helping us recognize our, our dependence on the Lord, but also our our God-wired interdependence upon one another um, as being members of his, of his family, the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think that, in, and along with that, Justin, there's so many things being revealed in this. And, and I think about the difference between um, circumstantial stability and kingdom stability. And, and I think that for, for many of our lives, we lean into circumstances around us related to whether we feel stable or not. And with the, with the profound instability of the pandemic and, and, the, and the significant instability of the election, it, it does reveal some of those, those false areas that we put our trust in for stability when, it, when it's circumstantially dependent to, to have a sense uh, of that. But I think the question for all of us as believers and maybe where we can shine the witness of God's kingdom most clearly in, in this current situation is that we are people of stability in the midst of the instability. And, and But that requires being anchored in a different kind of kingdom with a different kind of reality where sort of the storms might be swirling around us. But if we're working together as believers, moving out of that individualism, and, and this is only about my journey, but connected as a community truly where the Spirit is dwelling among us, there, there is a stability that can come regardless of the circumstances around us. 
Yeah, yeah, I love that. That makes me think of uh, one of the passages I've been reflecting on around that is in Hebrews 12. It talks about, mm. you know, God bringing a shaking so that all that, that cannot be shaken would remain and that mm. which can be shaken will fall away. And he says this beautiful, the beautiful writer of Hebrews, this beautiful line at the end of Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And, uh, and that's just been a... <laughs> That's been an anchoring truth for my soul that I've that I've gone back to time and time again to really renew my perspective when I get discouraged when I feel just <laughs> I'm at my wits end and I want this whole thing to be over and done. It's God's God's shaking, but there's a pure there's a purifying effect and really to learn how to embrace and lean in and receive it and all the more be grateful every day. I can choose to be grateful. We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You guys want to spread some of this wisdom out because we had ninety minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Justin and I are leaving after the first break, oh, so we okay. got yeah we got okay. that in. So yeah, because this is Try good stuff. It it's really really good, really good. All right, here's some uh, wisdom from C.S. Lewis. Uh, he says the real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up in the morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply of shoving them all back and listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And then at the end of six days of creation, God pronounced it all very good. I believe that my ability to say very good at the end of each of my days and the end of my whole life depends in what I do early in the morning every Mm. day. I know Tom Brock. You're a big fan I, of that. I, early morning. I know that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I know that paragraph. Is that from Mere Christianity? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've, I've quoted that, and, and that is the that is the pet portion of C.S. Lewis that makes me know I have to have my daily quiet time. Mm. For me, it's a mo- I'm a morning, and for me, it has to be in the morning because that's just the way I am. But if I don't have that. I kind of feel a little bit like I'm running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Mm-hmm. But if I have that time in the morning or I pray, read the Bible, sing a hymn to the Lord or whatever, uh, I, it stabilizes me for the rest of the day. And I remember an old, a professor saying that when he has his hour alone at the Lord in the morning, the Lord makes it up later in the day. Mm-hmm. It, it's like he has more time than if he didn't. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. When I wake yeah, up, I, I, go ahead, Justin. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say, you know, finding wisdom in, in unexpected places it, you know, thinking about God's kingdom, it reminds me of, you know, Jesus saying that using a child as an example, you know, that you must become like a child to enter into the kingdom. And I think there's that that sim- simplicity and dependence upon the Lord. And um, I would just what came to my mind is that, that what I hear most often, more often than not, every morning when our kids get up, we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, um, you know, one or both of them will cry out for, you know, they'll say, you know, daddy or mommy. And and it just it strikes me that the first thing that that comes to their mind is is really that that call of of making a relational connection like they want us to come into the room that we we would be with them and I think that is so true how often do I wake up and my mind is flooded with all the things that I have to do and all of the tasks that I have before me all the decisions all the uncertainties and what what if what it would be like is like my son to wake up in the morning and cry out, Abba, (laughs) cry out, Daddy, (laughs) and uh, know that he's in the room right there with me, waiting for me to wake up to spend time with me. And I just, yeah, anyway, that's what came to my mind. You read that quote, Bill. That's that's a beautiful quote. Yeah, I like that quote because first thing in the morning pretty much sets our day. Mm -hmm. We start to think ahead what the day's about and what we're going to do. And I wish I did this every day, but I do it often. 
after I wake up and get over my hunger, which is normal for me, Tom, you know how that works. <laughs> once I get by the hunger issue, the first thing I really try to think of is, uh, Jesus, I'm committed to you. You are Lord and Savior. There is no other way. And if this is the last day you give me, help me to live it to the fullest. And then I go and find my breakfast. And uh, I can't say I do that every day, but I would say I do it many days more than not because I want to make sure who I'm living for. Because if I don't, I can live for a lot of other things. I love that line that Jesus says from the cross, it is finished. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he had done the work of the Father. You know, when we get the end of end of our lives, I mean, who of us can say it is finished? Yeah. Like, you know, there's so many things that we will leave this life not finished, yeah. half done. Yep. Um, and what a beautiful example Jesus uh, lived by doing the will of his Father and stopped, yeah. at, stopped at nothing. Yeah and, yeah, and and then to be able to just commit your spirit into the hands of the Father because as it's finished. I mean, that, those are some really, I think, profound places when, when you think about what how he lived his life to lead to, to how he then died at the end of that part of his life. Um, you know, it, it is. I would love to be able to say it is finished when, when it's over. The, a sense of, uh, of what I was asked to do has been at least to some degree done. But I think part of what you guys are talking about is to the extent that I will struggle often in the morning getting up and starting my day as you described. And, and um, I get so distracted by so many other different kinds of things. And then I live in the what ifs and, and long for something different. And I wonder why it doesn't happen. And been so much of it is about, uh, I think, even C.S. Lewis's stuff. How do you wake up in the morning? Mm-hmm. That's a really good yeah. point. We're going to take a little break. You're listening to Guy Talk. Let us know what questions or issues you'd like us to chew on. Let me know. 877-933-2484. Welcome back to the show. God Talk is happening today, and we're always uh, welcome. We always welcome your questions, your input. One of the first Bible verses I heard as a child that connected with my heart is when angels appear to the shepherds outside Bethlehem. It says in Luke 2, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So searching the Bible, I've also found 353 references to fear. Hmm. So the question for the panel is, what can we do step-by-step, if possible, to replace fear with faith and hope at this time? You know, Bill, I think the first uh, passage of Scripture that comes to my mind is that passage of Scripture that says, perfect love casts out fear. And and uh, and so I think if you just kind of run through the, the this, this idea in your mind that if God is love and God is described as love and we define love as somebody who is um, tender-hearted and will never forsake and will pursue your wholeness even at the cost of himself. Uh, and there's a lot of ways we can talk about love. And uh, love certainly doesn't mean uh, embrace of or endorse of, but it does mean even in the midst of our, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That that the kind of love that God represents is a, is a passionate, pursuing, never forsaking kind of love that will always seek our wholeness in, in the midst of that. When, when we think that we are in the hands of a being that actually has that disposition towards us, then why would you ever be afraid? And so, I mean, I, I think I've talked about this before, but I'll work through with my students sometimes just kind of this logical sequence that is like, I'm afraid, 
but God is love. Perfect love casts out fear. So why would I be afraid? And, and when you kind of work through that, then you're working through what are the perceptions of God that I have in my life? Um, that there's nothing about that God that tolerates sin. But the question is, is how does God then approach our sin? Well, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and he took the huge hit for the midst of our sin because he so desired our wholeness. Like, I, I just, I think we can't get that enough of that message to, to sort of simmer and stew. And I'll sometimes tell my students, don't take another move in your faith until uh, some of that fear is removed because you have, you've tasted a whisper of, of your father in heaven and, and the love God has for you in those places. So I think sometimes we get confused that God is perpetually angry at our sin. Um, when God gets angry at sin in some of the ways we see in the scriptures, it's always at the end of a long wooing process and it's through grief and disappointment. It's never sort of Thor, the thunder God that just decides to destroy at random. It, it, it is a process at the end and God clearly has wrath and anger, but I would dare I suggest that we are sinners in the hands uh, of a God of love who is not there to embrace our decisions, but in the midst of our decisions will poke and prod and discipline and come after so that we would be moving towards wholeness. I think that's, those are some of the first steps to re- replace the fear in my mind. It's good. And I think the Bible teaches two things. It's going to sound contradictory, but I don't think it is. We are to fear God. And we are not to fear God. Right. I think it's great. If you look at Luke 12, Jesus says, don't fear people. All they can do is kill you. Fear God. He can kill you and send you to hell. Mm-hmm. And then a few verses later, fear not. Mm-hmm. You are of more value than many sparrows. In the same chapter, you get fear God. Don't fear him. And I think, I think this is the way to understand that. If you're driving in a car and you're going through the country up and down the hills, you're normally not afraid. But if you're wheel starts to go over the curb into the ditch, you get scared and you you turn the car back on the road. I think if you're trusting in Christ, following Christ, you are to fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. But if I start to turn away from Christ, if I start to uh, live in sin and and, uh, turn away from God, I should be so scared I get back on the road. So they're both true. Yeah, I th- and I think there's a, a difference between a, a close-fisted, close-hearted um, rebellion defiance that is just intentional, say, I will not sort of thing, as opposed to somebody who's engaged in the struggle of sin, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we've talked about that a lot on this show, mm-hmm. that it, to distinguish between those two, that for the people who will know the truth, resist the truth, and, and, and in this place of defiance and hard-heartedness, God does move uh, in, in those places, and... and um, and, and I think there's reason to be afraid. But for, but for the listeners who maybe are like, I've still got this ongoing sin in my life, but I don't want it. I'm going to struggle or whatever. In those places, I think uh, I, I lean into those passages of Scripture where it says where sin abounds, grace abounds all the mm-hmm. more. I mean, right. that that is a ridiculous. Who is this God who in the midst of my actually um, breaking the realities of good that he's brought into this world through my sin, that what he greets me with is grace abounding. Because mm-hmm. usually when I screw up in this world in some sort of human relationship, it's not going to be grace that meets me. And, and I, I get concerned sometimes we project our human experiences onto the God who greets us with grace because in him being so for us to keep working through that sin. But there is certainly a difference for people who are like, you know what, I am going to defy and resist. I mean, there's plenty of examples of Scripture uh, of the Pharaoh-like kinds of people, right? And even when my sin does cause God to spank me and discipline me, even that is his love. Uh, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. God loves, he disciplines those that he loves. And and so I I don't know what that passage says exactly. I can't remember. It's something like basically strengthen your knees, like stand up into it, right? It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Yeah, that is a good, it's, it's, uh, let, uh, don't, uh, 
Don't let the limb which is pulled out of joint, you know, yeah, like, that's yeah. Hebrews 12, isn't yeah, well, it? Yeah, well, I think we, can, we, we should probably read scripture at some point rather than attempting to quote it right now, and I'll look it up. Yes, indeed. Isn't it an interesting phenomenon that when we see it on the news, they always have these, you know, at the end of uh, the news program where somebody does something miraculous. Somebody falls into the water and is drowning, and some motorists will jump out of their car and dive into the raging water and rescue that person uh, even though they know they could die in the process. I think too often what we try to do is to protect ourselves from difficult situations, thinking that in staying in the house or staying away from it, we don't have to run into the fear. I think oftentimes, though, what the Lord wants to do is put us in those situations because the only way I can overcome fear is to face it and trust Jesus in the process yeah. and call out in his name. I remember Jordan Peterson, the psychologist, saying that the best way to overcome fear is to put people in fearful situations. Mm-hmm. And yet, what do we try to do? We try to back away from that. So I think that one of the things I see is when we have an opportunity to help somebody in a real need, when we're, we see a difficult situation, our natural inclination is going to be to move away from it. Yeah. Where what we need to do with trust in Jesus, calling on his name, is move into that situation to do what we can do because it's there you can begin to overcome the fear. Mm. Yeah, this yeah. is the passage we are referencing just uh, quickly too, Tom, on this one. It says... Uh, in Hebrews 12, it says, God disciplines us for our good. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I mean, it's, an, it's a profound invitation yeah. in the discipline of God. Yeah. Yeah, and I think along with that, I love what all your what your brothers are saying. I think you know how we view God is going to directly correspond to how we view the world, ourselves, and the world around us. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I think of uh, A. W. Tozer in his book Knowledge of the Holy. His very first line says, "You know, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us." And and I think for me, you know, even real practically, um, you know, I can either choose I can choose to to feed my my fears by focusing on my circumstances or on the difficulties. That, that are inevitable because we live in a broken, fallen world, or I can choose to fuel my faith. And for me, practically, that's uh, that's where I feel just, just the, the simple discipline of Scripture memorization comes in. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I think, um, you know, one of the places I love to memorize is in the book of, in the book of Psalms, and I love Psalm 69. It's a psalm of, of, of lament, and, and David in the midst of such dire, dark, you know, circumstances, um, verse 30 of Psalm 69 says, I will praise the name of God with a song. And then he says this, I'll magnify him with thanksgiving. And so I think practicing, aggressively practicing gratitude and thanksgiving actually helps fuel my faith. Um, And even though I'm in the midst of a difficult or dark situation, I can be honest and real about that, just like the lament aspect of that psalm, but at the same time, I can contrast my circumstances with the very character of God, and that leads me to a place of thanksgiving, and when I'm thankful, it magnifies my view of God. In other words, it doesn't make it doesn't make Him, you know, bigger than He already is. It helps me see Him as big as He actually already is, because we so often have a very big view of ourselves, or a big view of our government, or a big view of our world, and a really small view of God, and I find that practicing gratitude and through the avenue of scripture memorization yeah. inverses that and I can walk in faith really wise more effectively really wise Justin take a little break guide talks happening let me know what your questions or issues are you'd like us to talk about 877-933-2484 or you can email me bill at myfaithradio.com 
It's kind of groovy. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Coming from you, that really warms my heart. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like the Tom singing. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. I have a couple questions here. One was uh, relative to uh, feelings, and I know we've talked about this from time to time, but I'm curious as to why we are often in need of being um, reassured of God's love for us when clearly, like we talked about earlier, it is finished. God's work on the cross is done. What? Why do we go back and say, would you please give me more confidence or more affirmation? When are we settled with this issue? Mm. Well, we leak. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're like a boat that's got a hole in it. We leak mm-hmm. constantly. And spiritual truth is not part of our everyday nature. And so we have a tendency to say, Really? You really would do that for me? You really love me that much? And in crisis times, when we see that, we rejoice. Mm. The next day we wake up and go, hmm, wonder if I'll do it again. And that, that continual process. And that's why prayer, reaffirmation, fellowship, worship. I mean, why do we have worship once a week? Well, the Lord didn't do that so we could have nice buildings and we could have worship services and, you know, sing the same songs over and over. He did it for a very good reason. He knows that's the maximum that we can go without getting spiritually renewed. And the early church had it daily because they met mm-hmm. house to house. We need that daily renewal. And without that, um, it just kind of drains out of you. And, and you know what we've lost somewhat? For centuries in the worship service on Sundays, at the beginning of the service, we're talking Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian. At the beginning of the service, you confess your sins. It's called the general confession. Then the pastor gets up and announces the absolution that through Christ, your sins are forgiven. Well, why do we need that every week? Because we do know it is finished. Well, it's because we we doubt, we fear, we have guilt. And, and I think the reason God gave us Holy Communion is to remind us that our sins are forgiven. Mm. And so I, I I think, and if you stop hearing it, you stop believing it, which is why I think we need to put confession and absolution back in the church. Yeah, I think about uh, sometimes well, the, just relationships too, like on the on the horizontal plane of things, where the, you know, and I think I've, I've fallen into this category at certain times in my life that I needed to be told over and over again that I'm loved by maybe somebody that I love, uh, mm-hmm. you know, be in relationship with, uh, whether it's my parents or my wife or something. But I think that reveals a fundamental insecurity in me, and it, and it isn't anything related to the love that person is offering. And, and the scriptures do invite us to love ourselves. And, and by love ourselves, I don't mean that we place ourselves in the center of the universe or that we take on the place of God and, and bite into that, you know, temptation of the tree of Genesis 3. But there, but there is this, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. There is the idea that you also see yourself as a value. And because you come from the hand of God, you have value. And I think once you can sort of anchor in that space, that that even in the pain, sorrow, suffering, brokenness that we bring into this world as human beings in our sinfulness and in our fracture, there is an intrinsic and inherent value, not because of what we bring to the table, but simply because of the God who created us. And, and I think once we can get our head around that, Part of it, maybe it can begin to alleviate some of that ongoing and, and often latent insecurity that we have. But I, I think that need for reassurance 
has as much to do with one's view of oneself and the origin from which you've come as it does anything about who God is. And and I think, Tom, to your point, starting a service with that kind of reality um, that the reason why God did what he did is because of the intrinsic value of his creation with whom he wanted to share fellowship. Mm-hmm. And, and that ongoing forgiveness of sins is a tangible reminder of the value that we must have for him to have been motivated to do the unbelievably extreme thing that he did. All right. I don't know who said this because I don't always listen to you guys when you talk. Ouch. <laughs> don't take it personally. I'm scrambling. No, of course not. I'm We're trying Why would we take that statement personally? <laughs> no, because... Now, I feel insecure. Will you tell us that you love us, though? I love you guys. All right, good. As long Jeepers. as it's not a final yeah. statement. I know. It is finished. You, but I don't take it personally. It is finished okay. on that one. Okay, okay. everyone's talking now. Yeah. All right, no, but, you know, there's, there's questions coming in, and, and I'm trying to read and we trying understand. to go through what might be the next question that comes up. So. Yep. I'm I'm listening, trust me, you know. So uh, this listener said, James 1.17 says, Good and perfect gifts come from above. COVID-19 is an airborne disease and not a good gift on all accounts. So why do you say COVID-19 is from God? God allowed uh, us, uh, God allowed it is not a gift from him. The enemy of God is the prince of the air and in control of things in the air. So I believe COVID-19 is not of God, but he can use anything for his good. Thank you. I think it's from God. Let me me tell you why. Does disaster come against a city unless the Lord has done it? What is that? Is that Micah? And then you've got Moses at the burning bush, and God says to Moses, who makes man deaf, dumb, seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I think, boy, you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, God not only allows stuff like this, he does it. I mean, who is it that smote King Herod so that he died and was eaten by worms? The angel of the Lord did that. Who is it that when the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11 were getting drunk on Holy Communion, who was disciplining them so that some of them were dying? The Lord did that. So is is the coronavirus, ultimately everything's from God. I think, uh, and I think that's a comfort. I don't want the devil to be in control of the coronavirus. I want God to be in control of that for his good purposes. So that's my 10 cents. Adjusted for inflation, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> Thank you. Who else wants to step into that puddle right now? <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like Justin was. I heard him take a, take a big breath in. Justin? Well, <laughs> yeah, sure. I, you know, it's interesting to quote James one seventeen. You know, every good, gift, perfect gift comes from Father who is from above, and then you know, correlating that to coronavirus being airborne. I mean, from above, there's a sense in which I mean that that's not talking about what's you know within our atmosphere. This is talking about something completely outside and in completely different realm. And speaking like what Tom was saying, that God is transcendent above that. He is sovereign over that. And I think. Yeah, to some degree, I think we have to be careful to to make maybe dogmatic pronouncements that this this one particular natural disaster or or this pandemic is, you know, God's specific judgment. Could it be that? Absolutely. I think, like Tom said, there's a very good case for that. Um, But I do think we have to, you know, cling to what we do know for sure is that God is sovereign over it, um, that he is in control over it, and then he has the power to to work um, redemptively for our good in the midst of it, um, rather than trying to kind of figure out where it came from and why it's coming and that type of thing. So, um, yeah, I I think all of this is coming from the hand of, uh, you know, coming from the hand of God. Well, yeah, and I'm going to get your, uh, you go first and I go second. Okay. Okay. 
Uh, Where do I get to go? Uh, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> Whatever you want, Bill. Come from a, a Calvinist point of view. Yes. In Romans, Paul talks about the fact the whole creation is out of order and groaning for the redemption and the revealing of the sons of God. There, Paul makes it sound like that's out of order. Mm-hmm. That is not the way God wanted it. And God didn't create it that way. Our sin created that. So where does the sin come in? Mm-hmm. And the sin that, you know, now I can, it's easier for me to say the sinful nature of people and the fact that we continually rebel against the Lord and, and hurt one another opens the door for all these kind of things, even in nature to go yeah. out of control, mm-hmm. than it is to give, for me at least, all the authority to the Lord and making him sound like, you know, one day he's a nice Lord, the next day he's going to clobber you. And so I have a hard time with that. Well, I think there's a balance. And here's, if I was this lady, here's what I would quote to me. <laughs> that Jesus healed this lady whom Satan has bound for 18 years. And then you've also got the verse in Acts where Jesus went around doing good and healing all those oppressed by the devil. Yes. So can the devil have a hand in the COVID? Can he have a hand in this lady being bent over for 18 years? Uh, I think the best example is Job. Satan hit Job with all that horrible stuff, but he first had to go through the throne of God to get permission. So who is it that that caused uh, Job to suffer? The devil? Yes. God? Yes. Because at the end of the book, uh, it says about all the evil that God had brought upon Job. That's the way the verse reads at the end. I think of it like a master chess player, right? When I was in college, I got to play with a state champion, play chess. That guy was so far ahead of me, it was embarrassing. I was a good chess player, but I was humiliated because he was 10, 12, 15 moves ahead of me. That's the way I think about the Lord and all of this. The Lord did not create COVID, but he's way ahead of COVID, and he knows exactly what to do with it to wake us up to move us to where we need to be, and to bring us to repentance. And I look at my life that way. I mean, how many times do I go down the path and get off of it? And yet the Lord seems to know how to re- bring me right back I, on it. I do want to say, though, I think God created the flood for, for Noah. He created the fire and brimstone for uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. So sometimes God does do that stuff. Sometimes he does. Yeah. But I can't say definitively in this case that okay. COVID-19 is from the Lord. Okay, I can. <laughs> I know. Ultimately, only the Lord knows. But and we actually worked together, didn't we? <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? It was delightful. Yeah, I was just going to bring up the fact uh, that uh, God brought a lot of rain on the earth. And yes, he wiped did. out the entire. He did. The entire population. And God did that. God did that. Yeah. Yeah. And He also died on the cross to redeem us. Yes, He who did. Who are very did. evil, sinful people. Preach it. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and he's going to be bringing a whole lot more. You know, we know towards the end times, you read the book of Revelation. I mean, you look at all of the, the, the angels with the the tr- this breaking of the seals and the bowls and the trumpets. Um, there's going to be a whole lot more that he he certainly will is has a. It's very certain that it's coming from him. But mm-hmm. I think that doesn't cause us as God's people to be alarmed and be afraid if if we're if we're in him. Right. But and if I'm so, if I'm dying I, of COVID, I want to think. God, you're in control of this. This didn't oh, come into my life without your permission. Maybe it's time right. for me to go to heaven. You know, I want God to be in control of this, not chance oh. or the devil, you know? Well, it's Psalm oh, 139. Absolutely. All of your days were ordained yeah. before you yeah. had one of them. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 Coronavirus didn't come along and God said, oh, I didn't see this. Uh, what are we going to do with this now? You know, and yes, he's, as Tom said, he's, he's 10, 12, 13. I mean, he's an eternity uh, ahead of us. You know, he's completely outside of the time itself, but yet in time. And I think that's the that's a beautiful comfort for us. 
All right. A listener says, Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Is the word for follow more like a chasing and pursuing than what we think of as following? Yeah, that's my understanding of that passage as well, is that it's very much a pursuing after. Uh, yeah, I think that's a... I, I wouldn't even, even say more than that, other than that, yeah, God is always pursuing. Isn't that, that where way. the hound of heaven comes from? I think that's exactly where that comes from, indeed. Yeah. All right, that's a uh, great short answer. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we'll take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have lots of time for your questions. Let me know what they are. You can text them over to me at 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. And if you like email instead, you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Your questions can, of course, remain anonymous. We'll be right back. Soothing music for guy talk. Yeah, I think I know yeah, that song. Hey, Tom just fell asleep. <laughs> Wake him. Which yeah, I'm trying to give a shot here. Yeah, welcome back. We're so glad that uh, the panel, the power panel, is here. We've got pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Peter Kapsner, and we are welcome to take your questions. Eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Scott made an interesting comment. He said, "My wife and I are actually enjoying not running toward different forms of entertainment since COVID hit our world. We wish it would leave." But it's one upside. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I mean, there's nowhere to go. Yeah. If I talk to people, it's on the phone. So quite honestly, my wife and I spend more time, you know, talking together, uh, honestly praying together, reading scripture together, laughing together than we probably have in the last 40 some years. And so in that sense, it's a blessing. Yeah, I was talking with uh, one of my physicians about this sort of idea early on in the pandemic, and, and she was saying that. Um, we can both acknowledge the pain and sorrow and suffering that the pandemic is causing and, and have our hearts broken by that, while at the same time not feeling guilty about the silver linings that are also emerging from this. And so you can hold the tension of both of those things, right? I mean, there, there are a number of things I think that we can point to. And, and I remember uh, early on in the pandemic, and, and I know many people have been deeply impacted by it, and, and increasingly it's coming closer to home where for me, some people that I know have tested positive and, and, uh, and close friends, and so that's hard. But I remember that some one of the silver linings in that was um, that there just wasn't all the traffic out on the road. I mean, just nope. it wasn't yeah. so often I would drive maybe 25 minutes of my commute somewhere and I'd get there and, and uh, I would be so hassled and so frantic. And so this and there was just this peacefulness. And I remember thinking. Oh, dear Lord, can we never go back to the time where we have people, you know, running around, all of us sort of like chickens with our heads cut off to who knows where doing Lord knows what, for what purpose I don't always fully understand. And uh, and then the roads began to fill up with cars again. And I thought, oh, gosh, I don't want to return to whatever that way of life was. It, it really was a wake up call about just sort of the running roughshod for no real purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, I know we've talked a little bit about this, but for me, there's there's three questions that I regularly kind of pray or think through, and it's the first one's a question of lament. Is I think what is what is this pandemic? What is this season taken from me? Because those are legitimate things, and that comes at different levels for different people. Um, but to really, it's okay and it's necessary to to grieve those things. Um, and then secondarily, it's a question of hope. What is this season not taken from me? Mm. In other words, there's there's been a lot of things that. <laughs> 
I've thought were essential that have been stripped away that I realized really aren't essential and it's really helped me clarify and focus my priorities, which leads to the third question, which is a question of blessing, which is what has this season given to me? Um, how have I re- experienced God's redemptive goodness? And like Peter and what, you know, this listener too, I, I, there's been a, a lack of hurry, a lack of, at times, not always, but I think one of the greatest gifts is it's given me some really wonderful focused time um, with my immediate family, with my wife and kids that I, I absolutely cherish. And it's been um, an extreme blessing from the Lord that I'm really grateful for. Hmm. All right, let me move on. So when, when Jesus was uh, asked by the disciples, uh, how should we pray? I think that's Luke 11. And Jesus said, well, here's how to pray. When he would, when he would start with our Father, was that a common uh, way in which Jewish people would address God as our Heavenly Father? I, think, no. I, I get think, a lot of no. head shaking. I think, no. it, I think it only occurs once or twice in the Old Testament. God is rarely referred to as Father in the so Old Testament. So that was new, bold information, yeah. huh? Yeah, it was new information. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and I think the, yeah. go back to the Greek word for Father, if I remember right, Abba. Miss Abba. And when you go down to the base root of Abba, you can almost say, my daddy. Daddy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty powerful. Yep. It's an intimacy only, that we don't understand for it. Yeah, and that word Abba only occurs twice in all of the New Testament, and that's, that's in, uh, in the garden. Um, and actually occurs in Mark's in Mark's account in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, "Abba, Father, Abba, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me." And then, um, actually, three times. I'm sorry. Then it occurs in Romans eight. You know, but we've been given not the spirit of fear, but the spirit, the the, the, the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, "Abba, Father." And then I believe also Paul mentions it again in Galatians. I want to say Galatians four. So I mean, it's a it's a rare um, expression of intimacy that part of what Jesus is doing. In teaching his disciples to pray is that the same he's saying by saying our father he's saying to them the same intimacy the same type of relationship that i have with god the father is also possible for you so it, it's 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 rare in the old testament but it's everywhere in the new testament is that what you're saying justin because well it, i'm saying it's yeah it, it becomes that way but yeah. i think but jesus it's part of jesus introducing you know, the, the, the type of prayer. And I, I mean, I like to say, too, if we can pray like Jesus prayed, we'll have the power to live as Jesus lived. And Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray in the way that he prayed, that have that same intimacy with the Father and under the, under the new covenant that he has with the Father. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he's—that's why it was revolutionary for him to, to share and to say that, for that to be the first words of, of prayers. And I love it. Again, it's, notice all the, the, the pronouns in uh, the Lord's Prayer are plural. They're not individuals. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. You know, mm. your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not in temptation. So I think it, again, he's a, he also de-individualizes it <laughs> for us um, by, by giving us that communal expression. Think about when children are little. You know, we talk about being children of God. What if we talked about being toddlers of God? Mm. Because when you're a toddler, <laughs> you trust mom and dad explicitly you go to mom and dad with everything now it doesn't take long till they grow out of that stage and then they start questioning life and questioning what you're doing but in that setting to even use the 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 word abba that can get down to my daddy pretty intimate and is saying come tell me what you want tell me what's going on Mm -hmm. and i will listen doesn't mean you always get it because i didn't always give my toddlers what they wanted but boy i would go out of my way to help them wherever i could Mm -hmm. 
I love that, Tom. That's great. Toddlers in the Lord. I love that. <laughs> I like it, too. <laughs> A, a listener said, uh, uh, "I'm doing some street preaching on Saturday for our nation, and I and for the and our just asking for some prayer. Any of you pastors want to pray? Yep. Tom, go ahead. Lord, we want to pray for this individual that that they he or she will be anointed with the Holy Spirit, that they will speak to every person that they need to speak to, and that they'd preach the cross, the centrality of salvation." And that uh, you would just protect this person in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I appreciate that. Amen. So you guys are presenters. You know, you, you teach, you preach, you're in front of people. Are you, do you consider yourselves introverts or extroverts? Yeah. I'm an ambivert. What are you? <laughs> <laughs> Did you say ambivert? I'm an, I'm an ambivert. In other words, I, I, I've actually, I've become a little bit more introverted, I feel like, in this season in some way. I, I definitely lean more extroverted. But I really find that I, I, there is a recharging that also I get recharged by being around, like, you know, being conversing with you guys. This charges me up. But also I, I need to balance that with being recharged and having time in solitude. And if I don't have both of those things, um, I kind of tend to start to fall apart. Sure. The and, and just for our listeners, the classic definition, an introvert draws his energy from being alone. Mm-hmm. An extrovert mm-hmm. draws his energy from being with others. Right. So I think, uh, what, do you, what are you there, Peter? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've wondered about that a little bit. Not not a ton, but uh, I, here's what I know is that after being in public in some ways, and especially if it's a ministry kind of situation, that I feel fatigued in ways that I don't feel fatigued doing other things in life. And I'm not sure if there's stuff going on in the kingdom, but I've talked to other pastors, other ministers, other presenters that do that. And there, there's an unusual fatigue that happens in that situation, which causes me to want to withdraw when that's over. And I think I've interpreted that as introversion in some ways. But I, and, and I think I would tend more that direction. But boy, if I'm away from people for, you know, longer than 24 hours, 40 hours, I start longing for that, mm-hmm. that conversation, the fellowship. But I would say this, I'm not a big like crowds guy. I don't feel comfortable just like, yeah, you know, walking around the crowd. So I'd rather just have, you know, some, some meaningful conversations, whether over text or a phone call or whatever and stuff with friends in that situation is where I'd find my, my energy. I just had that question because we just prayed for this gentleman who's going to be doing some street preaching. And that probably takes a certain personality. Oh, yeah, I can't even preach. imagine, I, right. I, have yeah. you done that before, street I've preaching? Never, I've never nope. done that either. Yep. Never. Have you guys done it? I've done it. I've No, I haven't gone. No, I wouldn't say I have. I've done. I've been in front of an abortion clinic and gave, given a message, but that was set up. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's simply a gift that people have that are street preachers. I don't know if they're really introverts or extroverts, if that's the real scale. To measure it on, I know that... Uh, those that are good at that, simply they've never met a stranger. They know everybody. I mean, everybody's their friend. They want to talk to everybody, uh-huh. and they don't, they're not shy about anything. <laughs> um, I think I'm pretty much an extrovert, but I, the Lord had to teach me how to not talk so much hmm. and how to listen more and how to withdraw into myself, and that's been very healthy for me. My wife is the introvert, and, and the Lord's had to pull her the other direction. So between the two of us, you might have one whole person, but the, it's good to look at that. And I did, I'm qualified on Meyer Briggs Temperance Type to give that to people. I've used that for decades. Do you, do you guys know what Hyde Park Corner is in London? Yes. Hyde Park is where people get on a soapbox and start preaching. And the closest I've ever gotten was some guy was some atheist I think was on his soapbox preaching. I could not be quiet, and I had to, I, I I had to go back and forth with him. But that's about the closest I've ever done that. I think. Yeah, but Tom, something you said which I think we should all embrace, even if we are leaning introvert, is to say, 
have that quality where you're not afraid to talk to anybody mm-hmm. because out of that conversation might come mm-hmm. the greatest opportunity to help bring the gospel to that lost soul, right. which right. would change their eternal destiny. And we have to get outside of ourselves yeah. to make that a possibility. Yeah. yeah, we were just reading in the book of Acts when Philippian comes alongside the Ethiopian. And I just think, like, what, what kind of courage that took for Philip to come alongside, walk alongside a, a chariot or stagecoach or whatever he's riding at this point and begin to strike up a conversation with somebody he doesn't even know. It, it's really pretty interesting to your point, Bill. Yeah. All right, we're going to uh, take a little break. We have another 30 minutes of Guy Talk, so still looking for more questions. Let me know what they are, 877-933-2484. I think the players are going to be shifting around a little bit at the top of the hour. I don't know, Peter, are you going to be with us for a uh, while no, longer? I, yeah, I cannot, uh, cannot stay past 5 o'clock today. Really? So I, I'm, I have a 5.30 appointment. Okay. And neither can I. So you're going to be. <laughs> so Bill, Bill, Bill I want to talk. I want to talk till eight p.m. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, that is scaring me a little. Uh, okay. It's not fiction. All right, uh, Peter and Justin, thank you so much for your yep. participation. Always great to be with you. And, uh, great to be here. And like Justin said, it does bring joy. It yeah. does recharge us. It I know. Does. I feel it that does. way very much. Yeah. Um, so we'll take a little Thank break. You, when we come back, we'll still, still have the Toms here, and we'll take your questions. So, again, 877-933-2484, or you can email me, Bill, at MyFaithRadio.com. Be back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.